Hello, knowledge seekers. In this episode of 20 Minute Books, we delve into The Language Instinct by Steven Pinker, a profound exploration of the inherent ability for language that is etched into the human mind. With a fascinating journey that intertwines linguistics and linguistic anthropology, Pinker reveals our intrinsic connection to language, proposing that our brains are innately equipped for language acquisition. Stephen Pinker, the accomplished author of The Language Instinct, is not only an experimental psycholinguist but also a respected professor of psychology at Harvard University. His expertise is evident as he holds the accolade of authoring six books, including How the Mind Works and The Blank Slate, both of which were contenders for the Pulitzer Prize. The Language Instinct is a must-read for linguistic enthusiasts fascinated by the inner workings of human communication and those curious about the intellectual legacy of famed linguist Noam Chomsky. Additionally, it appeals to parents and educators intrigued by the rapid pace at which children seem to master speech. This insightful book provides rich perspectives on the hardwired nature of our language instinct, presenting compelling arguments for our unparalleled ability to learn and use language from an early age. Join us as we unpack the mysteries of the human language instinct, a defining feature of our cognitive skill set, ill. The Language Instinct How the Mind Creates Language. Introduction Unlocking the Code of Language The Ease of Native Linguistics. Ever wondered how as a child you effortlessly acquired the ability to speak your first language? Yet, as an adult, mastering a new dialect often feels like an insurmountable challenge. There's a fascinating interplay between the complexity of language and our intrinsic linguistic abilities that seems almost like magic. We operate within a sphere of seemingly intuitive communication, managing to convey our thoughts and feelings with each other through the intricate dance of words and grammar. And the secret ingredient to this phenomenon? It lies within the domain of our language instinct. Join me on a linguistic journey as we delve into the structure of language and uncover the reasons humans are particularly adept at language acquisition. Along the way, we'll explore the neurological underpinnings of our remarkable facility for speech. Ready to learn some spellbinding truths? You'll find out. How tiny tots can construct sentences using grammatical rules that were never explicitly taught to them. The way you can instinctively know the difference between one toy wug and a pair of them, and why voice assistants like Siri often struggle to decode the complexities of human speech. Part one, the innate blueprint of language in all of us. Picture a world where speech flows as naturally as breath, where the complex dance of words and grammar comes as second nature. This isn't just in the realm of imagination. It's the reality every human experiences, from newborn cries to adult conversations. The capacity to form coherent sentences is not so much taught as it is unveiled, blooming from a seed planted within us long before we see the interior of a classroom. This concept was introduced by Noam Chomsky, the renowned linguist who proposed the theory of universal grammar, 
a sort of mental DNA for language that governs our linguistic abilities from the cradle. According to Chomsky, we are not empty vessels waiting to be filled with verbs and nouns. Rather, we are born with a pre-wired set of grammatical guidelines that unify all tongues across the globe. Chomsky's universal grammar is backed by something he calls the poverty of the stimulus, a nod to the realization that children often grasp language constructs far beyond the examples they are exposed to. Take, for instance, the subtle art of question formation. It seems simple enough when transforming a statement like a unicorn is in the garden into a question by fronting is, but complexity heightens with sentences such as a unicorn that is eating a flower is in the garden, where it's the second is that needs to be shifted to form a question correctly. Interestingly, Chomsky found that children rarely, if ever, fell into the trap of mishandling these variations. They intuitively knew which is to migrate even in phrases they had never before encountered, a clear sign that their grammatical sense exceeds mere mimicry. And what about those without access to spoken language? Take Simon, a deaf child studied by psychologists, whose sole gateway to language was through sign language, from his parents, who themselves learned signing later in life and were prone to errors. Yet, Simon's signs were immaculate, untouched by the grammatical slips of his parents. Such precision from a boy who had only witnessed an imperfect version of sign language could only be the doing of an instinctual grammar guide hardwired within his mind. In these snapshots of linguistic acumen, we witness the powerful force of our language instinct, revealing itself in the ease with which we navigate the seas of syntax and the islands of idiom, born seafarers on the linguistic tide. Part 2. The Myth of Language Shaping Our Reality Debunked language is often heralded as the lens through which we view and interpret existence. But does it truly reshape our perception of reality? The concept seems plausible, doesn't it? The idea known as the Horfian hypothesis or linguistic relativity suggests that our native tongue dictates how we perceive everything around us. Benjamin Whorf, the mind behind this hypothesis, was a student of Native American languages and he argued that because their languages described the world uniquely, for instance, an Apache dialect that described a dripping spring as whiteness moves downward, Native Americans must see life through a fundamentally different lens, one where objects and events are not distinct. Yet skepticism arises when we scratch beneath the surface. Whorf himself might not have conducted in-depth research or even direct interactions with Apaches. Moreover, his translations may have carried a flair for the mystical rather than a faithful rendering of a fundamentally different worldview. To think that language can mystify the mundane, one can just as easily turn the simple phrase, he walks in, into the fanciful, solitary masculinity, leggedness proceeds. Language can dress up the simplest actions in fanciful garb, but this doesn't alter the underlying reality. Consider the spectrum of colors. Some cultures might distill the rainbow down to basic terms like black and white, but to suggest that this constrains them to see the world only in these shades is akin to arguing that language has the power to rewrite their very visual biology. The tenacity of linguistic relativity owes much to urban legends rather than scholarly evidence. 
take the so-called Great Eskimo Vocabulary Hoax, the claim that Eskimos possess an abundance of words for snow, signifying a different perception of winter than an English speaker. Yet when we actually count, we find their lexicon comparable to the English variations. Snow, sleet, slush, hail, and the like. In the end, language is a tool, a magnificent invention of human intellect, but it's not the puppeteer some assume it to be, pulling the strings on how we perceive the world. Part 3. The Twin Pillars of Language Arbitrariness and Infinite Possibility Have you ever paused to marvel at the magic behind our seamless communication? As it turns out, the ease of our verbal exchanges hinges on two foundational principles that give language its power. Let's begin with the first principle, the arbitrariness of the sign. Coined by Ferdinand de Saussure, a revered name in linguistics, this principle spotlights the peculiar relationship between sound and meaning. Take the word dog. There's nothing intrinsic about the syllables that conjures up the furry, tail-wagging creature we all know. The word itself doesn't embody the essence of dogness. So why then does dog signify the four-legged animal? The answer lies in the universal agreement among English speakers, a consensus reached through repetition and associations laid down over time that affirms that this particular sound represents our canine companions. This arbitrariness is the linchpin that enables us to exchange thoughts swiftly and efficiently, freed from the need to justify why every sound connects to its respective meaning. The second principle guiding our linguistic journey is the concept of making infinite use of finite media. This might sound complex, but it's rather simple. Our dictionary of words is, is limited, yet from this modest toolbox we can craft an endless array of sentences. How does this work? Enter grammar, an invisible but powerful force that dictates how words can be arranged and transformed to convey distinct scenarios and sentiments. Let's consider the phrase, dog bites man versus man bites dog. Grammar ensures that we recognize one as an everyday misfortune and the other as a headline capturing oddity, not based on the words themselves, but on their orchestrated arrangement. Our vocabulary may be finite, but grammar is the key that unlocks a boundless universe of expressions. Part 4. More than just grammar, the fascinating world of words. While we often highlight the significance of grammar, words themselves are intricate constructs worth exploring. Just as life teems with cells built from even tinier elements, our sentences are woven from individual threads we call words, and these in turn are stitched together by the smallest patches of grammatical cloth, morphemes. Let's delve into the rules of morphology that govern these particles of language through a whimsical example. Imagine a creature named a wug, a singular, unassuming wug. Now, if we introduce a partner to this lonely wug, we have, what do you think? That's right, a pair of wugs. A simple S has the power to transform the singular into plural. But consider this. No one ever sat us down as children to drill the concept of this magical S into our heads. Yet we use it with uncanny precision. Jean Gleason, a psycholinguist, once tested this concept with an experiment. 
she presented preschoolers with an illustration of a single wug. After revealing a second image with two, she asked what we should call them. The answer was unanimous and spontaneous. Wugs, with the all-important S. The children had never heard the term wugs before. They just knew that's how it worked, an innate understanding revealing mental rules for spawning new words. To appreciate morphemes further, consider the differences between languages. English may seem less complex than German if you're eyeing morphology. But take a trip to Tanzania, where the language Kivunjo sits atop a throne of sophisticated inflectional morphology. Their verbs are a tapestry of morphemes, a string of prefixes and suffixes altering meaning gracefully. In Kivunjo, naikimliya, meaning to eat, is a richer version of the verb li, adorned with additional morphemes. Unlike English's modest four variants for verbs such as quack, quacks, quacked, quacking, but where English may appear less intricate in inflection, it compensates with derivational morphology. This is our wizardry of creating new words. Attach able to learn. And behold, a new word appears. Learnable. As we peer closer at the intrinsic structure of our language, it becomes clear why communication with all its complexity, often feels as effortless as breathing. Part 5. The Marvel of Speech Perception, Our Unseen Sensory Power Ever consider speech's hidden complexity, its acoustic intricacies that unfold in daily conversations as naturally as day follows night. We have many senses, but it is our uncanny capacity to decipher speech that might well be tantamount to a sixth sense. Let's ponder a dilemma. With all our technological prowess that enables astronauts to leave footprints on the lunar surface, why can't we engineer a computer to flawlessly echo the words we speak? The crux of the problem is speech's fluid nature. Unlike the neatly spaced words on paper or screen, spoken language is a continuous stream with no overt pauses to signal the start and end of each word. Diving into this stream, we discover phonemes, the fundamental sound segments that piece together to form words. These segments are analogous to letters. For example, the sounds in B-A-T each represent a phoneme. Each of these phonemes carries its distinct acoustic signature. Take beat, which is an assembly of three sound waves, B, E, A, and T. Conceivably, we should be able to program a machine to decipher these waves and replicate the word beat, right? Here you encounter the snag, co-articulation. This is the linguistic sleight of hand where phonemes don't stand separately, but rather blend with neighboring sounds in our speech. The phonemes of beat aren't three isolated islands of sound. They're shaped, shaded, and shifted by the preceding and following noises. Computers fall short in grasping the rich tapestry of co-articulated speech, where the same phoneme can vary dramatically depending on its context. And yet humans navigate this acoustic maze with deceptive ease. The curiosity beckons. How do we do it? If you're thinking it's due to top-down processing, moving from broad strokes to detail, think again. Some suggest our understanding hinges on context. You wouldn't expect to hear special when discussing environmental species. But speech is a rapid-fire exchange. We often can't predict the next word out of someone's mouth. Need proof? Ring a friend and recite 10 random words from the dictionary. 
Despite a glaring absence of context, every word is understood, unfailingly. This whisper of human ability to parse speech remains one of life's quietly profound mysteries. Part 6. Deciphering Written Language. The Art of Mental Parsing. The murmurs of spoken language might feel more intuitive, but what about the silent dance of symbols across a page? You might find yourself in the thrall of a novel, effortlessly absorbing every twist and turn in the narrative. How do we make sense of written words that stand still, anchored in ink or pixels, far removed from the cadence of speech? Our minds engage in parsing, a meticulous process of dissecting sentences into their grammatical building blocks, identifying subjects, verbs and objects, and wrangling them into cohesive meaning. It's a kind of cerebral choreography where grammar is the dance instructor, plotting the steps so that each sound matches its intended meaning. Our role is to follow the routine, manipulating these grammatical units until the message crystallizes. When it comes to parsing, linguists have identified two primary methods, breadth-first search and depth-first search. In a breadth-first search, we might consider a word and let our brains briefly consider its various meanings, no matter how far-fetched some might be. Imagine the word bug. It could invoke visions of a beetle, or perhaps conjure the image of a hidden microphone. On the flip side, depth-first search plunges into the sentence as a whole, latching onto the most plausible interpretation and sprinting forward with it. Yet, this method sometimes trips us up, especially with sentences designed to mislead. Garden path sentences. These tricky strings of words lead us astray, sending us down a deceptive path where context shifts mid-journey, as in the man who hunts ducks out on weekends. Initially, the image of a weekend hunter emerges, but surprise, there's a twist. Now, the man is evading something, and our minds might stubbornly cling to the initial interpretation, leaving us momentarily perplexed as we backtrack to navigate the syntactic maze. Our linguistic capabilities, as adept as they are in speech, extend their prowess to the written word, revealing a versatility that begs the question, where do these skills originate? Let's dive into that mystery in the sections to come, unraveling the tapestry of human language at its deepest roots. Part 7. The Crucial Years. Language Development's Golden Age. Imagine a sponge soaking up water, and you'll have a fair picture of a child's remarkable capacity for language learning. So, how does this extraordinary absorption process unfold? Picture a young child. Call her a lexical sponge, her brain's radiant architecture primed for linguistic acquisition. By the tender age of six, she's likely to command some 13,000 words. This mental lexicon blooms without the benefit of textbooks or flashcards. Instead, the child is driven to memorize new words at the dizzying rate of one every two waking hours. And this, astonishingly, is achieved without the help of mnemonic devices. Mnemonics, techniques designed to embed information into our memory, are little use when it comes to individual words. For melodies and music notes, a mnemonic phrase like every good boy deserves fudge works wonders. Yet for words, there is no clever shortcut. Children must rely on some potent inherent language faculty 
that thrives effortlessly in their young minds. This ability, though, is not immune to the sands of time. As the years meander on, the linguistic prowess that once sparkled in the playgrounds of our youth begins to dim. Adults across cultures often struggle with the intricacies of a second language, as though the intricate machinery of language acquisition has dulled with age. Psychologist Elisa Newport delved into the experiences of immigrants arriving in America, uncovering a stark divide. Those landing in their new home between ages three to seven displayed native-like command of English grammar. However, those who unpacked their suitcases between eight and 15 encountered a rougher linguistic terrain. This pattern is not restricted to second language acquisition. It is echoed in the learning of one's first tongue as well. There have been the rare and lamentable cases of so-called wolf children raised in the wild or secluded from human interaction, such as Jeannie, a young girl discovered in 1970. Deprived of human contact in her formative years, Jeannie's grasp of grammar lay fallow. Her sentences were barren of the rich structures that come with typical development. Thus, such stories and studies converge on an arresting truth. Childhood is the crucial window where language blossoms, and once that critical period is over, our innate language skills face a steep and challenging climb. Part 8. Tracing the Roots of Our Linguistic Abilities Through Evolution We've ventured deep into the intricacies of human language, exploring the mechanisms that enable us to imbibe and utilize this complex system from an early age. Yet one lingering question remains. Where did this language instinct originate? Could evolution explain the emergence of this innate skill? The theory of evolution, as posited by Charles Darwin and subsequently refined, suggests that the wonders of the biological world emerged through incremental changes, genetic mutations that, bit by bit, conferred survival and reproductive advantages on their bearers. Yet, skepticism has been cast on the notion that such an elaborate system as language could be a product of evolution. Critics, including Chomsky himself, have offered a couple of steep hurdles to this hypothesis. The first obstacle arises from the sheer sophistication of language. Its vast capability seems excessive compared to what evolutionary pressures might demand for reproductive success. Why would nature concoct something so elaborate when simpler systems might suffice? To counter this, consider the cheetah's remarkable speed, an attribute that may also seem to exceed survival requirements. But in the evolutionary race where every increment of advantage counts, even a cheetah's incremental edge can cascade into significant evolutionary leaps over millennia, much like a slight growth advantage might turn a mouse into an elephant over vast stretches of time. The second point of contention is language's uniqueness to humans. Our primate cousins, the chimpanzees, do not share our linguistic flair despite our shared ancestral lineage. Surely, if language were an evolutionary milestone, wouldn't chimps exhibit their own version of verbal communication? Here, we must refine our understanding of evolution, not as a steady climb up a ladder, but rather as a branching bush. Our paths diverged from those of chimpanzees. They continued down one branch, humans down another, allowing for the evolution of language in humans 
even if it did not manifest in our evolutionary siblings. Bearing this in mind, the plausible engine behind our language instinct seems to be natural selection. Our early human predecessors likely reaped unparalleled benefits from a burgeoning ability to communicate, bestowing on them a competitive edge essential for survival in their ecological niche. As we delve into the final segments of this exploration, let's contemplate how these evolutionary insights might offer us a more profound understanding of who we are and how our communicative capabilities continue to shape our destiny. Part 9. Grammar. Police. Beware the arbitrary nature of linguistic rules. In a world teeming with language, mavens ready to pounce on any grammatical misstep, to correct or not to correct, has become a modern-day linguistic quandary. These self-appointed guardians of grammar relentlessly police the distinction between there and there, or view split infinitives as a sign of linguistic decay. But are such strictures warranted? Let's pull back the curtain on this theatrical display of grammatical vigilance. The rigorous rules that many advocate for, the prescriptive edicts etched into the minds of schoolchildren, differ markedly from the way language inherently works, a key distinction often lost on the purists. Linguists, those who scrutinize language under the scientific lens, focus on descriptive rules. These are the unspoken and often unfathomable guidelines that reflect language in its wild, natural state, the way words organically flow in conversation, untamed by textbooks. In fact, language could hardly thrive on prescriptive rules alone. Take the admonition against starting a sentence with because. This directive is meaningless without understanding the core components it seeks to organize, the infinitive form, and the function of conjunctions like because. When all is said and done, prescriptive norms often serve as mere ornaments adorning the sturdy framework of descriptive grammar. It's entirely possible to speak in a manner that's grammatically correct, at least descriptively, while flouting prescriptive conventions, much like a taxi can adhere to the laws of physics while flouting traffic regulations. Who then arbitrates the correctness of language? It turns out that prescriptive commandments are as fickle as fashion trends, born of historical whims or socio-political maneuvers. For those of us weaned on a diet of prescriptive grammar, consider this. The Starship Enterprise's call to boldly go where no one has gone before might ruffle the feathers of grammarians shackled to the past. Yet, the prohibition against splitting infinitives has rather pedestrian roots, a bid to elevate the prestige of London English over Latin in the 18th century, a language devoid of such splits by its very structure. So, before the red pen of correction dashes across the page, it behooves us to recall the constantly evolving and surprisingly arbitrary currents beneath the sea of grammar, guiding us to speak and write in a multitude of wonderfully valid ways. Part 10. Deciphering the brain's blueprint through our linguistic instinct. The frontier of modern neuroscience beckons, with the enigma of language as its guide, leading us toward a deeper comprehension of our own cerebral landscape. The proposition that language is an instinct heralds a paradigm shift in our quest to untangle the neural enigmas. It's not just about words and rules. It's about the architecture of thought and cognition encoded within our very biology. Where once the brain seemed a shadowy labyrinth, now, like a map illuminated by a torch, areas dedicated to language begin to gleam. 
The left perisylvian region, a neural terra incognita, has emerged as the language organ of the brain. Damaged by stroke or injury in 98% of cases involving aphasia, this region's critical role in language processing becomes apparent. Yet, the burgeoning field of neuroscience cautions us associations between brain regions and functions cannot be drawn with too heavy a hand. The brain houses modules, specialized neural enclaves, dictating specific mental faculties, each a puzzle piece in the enigmatic mosaic of cognition. In the intricate tangle of neurons, language manifests through a symphony of interconnected modules, speech, understanding, reading, and more, all nestled within the brain's left hemisphere. This delicate choreography underpins our verbal virtuosity. But the implications of a language instinct may extend beyond the borders of linguistics. Could other, similarly instinctive understandings also be hardwired in our neural circuits? This concept arises in anthropology and psychology alike. Anthropologist Brent Berlin posits the existence of an innate folk biology. Our brains come equipped with a preloaded software to sort the living world into categories flora, fauna, species. Entangled in the genetic yarn of our beings, this knowledge forms without explicit instruction. Psychologist Elizabeth Spelke's landmark experiment lends heft to this claim. When children witness an inanimate object like a coffee pot morph into a bird feeder, they shrug. Such transformations don't violate their deep-seated intuitions. Yet, they stand firm against the idea of a raccoon turning into a skunk striking at the intuitive recognition of natural kind's immutable essence. Thus, through the prism of language and its instinctive qualities, we gain a vista onto other potential instincts hardwired within us. The study of language thereby transforms into a voyage into the very nature of human cognition, revealing layers of our identity otherwise concealed within the folds of our gray matter. Final summary. In essence, Our journey through language reveals a profound truth. Embedded within our very essence is an innate linguistic instinct. This instinct is not the product of formal education, nor is it limited to the structures and rules we painstakingly learn in classrooms. Instead, it's an intrinsic part of our human makeup, a thread woven into the fabric of our brains, setting us apart and ensuring our collective thrive. Understanding this language instinct, not only enriches our appreciation of communication, but also offers a window into the evolutionary forces that have shaped us into the beings we are today. Thank you for joining me today on this journey of learning and discovery as we explored the insights of another thought-provoking book in our growing library of knowledge. If you've enjoyed our time together, please take a moment to follow our podcast, give us a five-star rating, and share 20-minute books with other knowledge seekers. Your support truly means a lot. Don't forget to join me again in the next episode, where we will delve into another enriching book. Until then, happy reading and happy listening.